Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Man, if you're in the room, you can be seated. If you're over at the Frederick campus, I want to welcome you. You can be seated too. And then if you're watching online, man, it's awesome to have you. And I don't know about you, but I just got a little bit fired up. We just sang God of Revival. And you may not know the story of the picture that we saw on the screen of, of Beth and Tom baptizing a young guy named Robert, but here's the interesting thing. You talk about revival, man. You go back this last year, we've had so many crazy things that have happened, but we've had one of our largest years of people coming to Christ. That's awesome. That's worth celebrating for sure. But here's the story. Did you know that Beth had never walked inside of our church? She'd never walked inside of our church. You saw her story a few weeks ago, but she never walked inside of our church before COVID. She gets served by one of her neighbors. She starts coming to church and connecting when we reopen in August. And you just got to see Beth. We've been talking about finding our one. You just got to see Beth who found her one, who invited that person and their family to come, who just got up there and baptized somebody else. A lady who got baptized during COVID who ended up baptizing somebody else. That's what we're talking about. And that's exciting. And and here's what I need your help with. Man, we are two weeks away from Easter. We have been talking about since the beginning of this year, we've said every single person at Rocky, here's our focus for this year. We're focusing, turn our focus away from the 99. Doesn't mean we don't need the 99. You need the 99. You need to be with church people and connect with church people to be supported and have relationships. But our connection is for a purpose to go find the one. And so every single one of us, we've been challenged this year to say, who's your one? And one of the best times that you can invite your one to come to church, when they will say yes, they say that 85% of people will say yes if you just invite them to Christmas or what? Easter. Easter is two weeks away. So who have you been praying for? Who have you been investing in? And who are you going to invite to be with you on Easter? So all the information you want to see about our service times, we've got our regular service times on Sunday. We have services on Saturday at both campuses. Check that out. And who are you going to invite? The other thing you need to know too, is that we're going to do Good Friday services, except we're going to do them online. So Good Friday will just be online. Easter will be online and in person. But that Friday night, 7 o'clock, awesome Good Friday service, just kind of a worship night with a small devotion. I think it'll be a great thing for you to check into. So can I trust you? Can we all work together, online people, in-person people? Can we invite somebody to do Easter with us? Let's do it, all right? Okay, dude, that was weak, all right? Can we do it? There we go, all right. Okay, so get to Matthew chapter 7. We started a series this last week called Get Off Your, and we are talking today about getting off your high horse. Now, if you've ever heard that term before, get off your high horse, you need to understand it's kind of a sarcastic term, kind of a sarcastic term that has an actual literal origin. So the term get off your high horse was coined by a guy named John Wycliffe in 1380. He's writing in a document, a newspaper that went out. He's writing in this, in this um, idea. And he talked about, he was talking about medieval soldiers or royalty and how they would bolster their claims to supremacy by appearing in public on, in their royal outfits mounted on powerful war horses, powerful and expensive horses, presenting themselves as larger than life. And there was this term that was coined of on your high horse. 
And it was the idea that these royalty or these military people would ride into towns. You've seen this in movies, how they just kind of picture the, uh, the scenery and picture that them coming in and the cameras are almost low looking up. You'd see the horse, you know, this huge powerful horse bucking up in the air and this person on top of it and all the commoners getting back and the leadership people, the royalty people looking down at the common man, down their noses at them. And the combination of high op- office and the imagery of being high above people and the power of those horses and the expensive nature of what they cost led to the term being on one's high horse. But it also led to the term of being on one's high horse, meaning that one was superior and unapproachable. Here's the interesting thing. Get off your high horse has often been used of Christians because of their judgmental nature and how they can appear to be arrogant and unapproachable. It's one of the biggest reasons why non-Christians avoid Christianity is because of judgmental Christians. You've heard it before. And you've heard people say it, man, those judgmental Christians, man, I don't even want to be around them. Who do they think they are telling me what to do? Man, they've got problems in their own life. They are so judgmental. Today, we're going to look at two verses Probably two of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. Now, most of you have that memorized, but you don't have the New Living Translation or the New Uh, the NIV translation memorized, what you have is you have the old King James version that says what? Judge not lest you be judged, right? And you hear people say that and it's usually a little sarcastic. And the interesting thing is, is I said that's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. It's probably quoted more by non-Christians than actually by Christians. By non-Christians who look at Christians and say, come on, get off my back. Who are you to judge me? Judge not lest you be judged. And what they're saying is, man, I can do anything I want in my life. As long as I do, as long as what I'm doing is not hurting anybody, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. You have no right to judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. And here's the big question. Is that what Jesus meant? Sermon on the Mount greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached is the one sermon we have recorded all the way through where Jesus tackles all kinds of different subjects. Actually, we think he tackles all kinds of different subject, subjects. There's one thread that seems to lean all the way through. And when Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, is he actually saying there is no circumstance in your life where you can actually judge someone else? Do not judge or you too will be judged. If that's true, here's what that means. No teacher has the right to judge a project or a paper, whether it's an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. That means no coach has the right to decide which player should start and which player should sit. That means no judge has the right or jury has the right to judge guilty or innocent. You see how this gets a little complicated here, right? I mean, is that what Jesus is actually saying? He's saying you can never judge or is he saying, no, you can actually discern What's right or wrong? You see, that also means that no officer has a right to judge my driving, which my wife would love if that was true. No one has a right to say which 
religion is right or wrong, is that exactly what Jesus was saying? You see, no, I said there were a lot of subjects that Jesus covered in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. But there seems to be a thread that goes all the way through. And to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to understand the, co- the context, which means you have to go back out of chapter 7, which is the last chapter in the Se- Sermon on the Mount, and go to the previous chapters to actually see what the context is. And here's what happens in chapter 6. It's interesting. In chapter 6, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16, Jesus gives the context. He says, here's what we're really talking about. And here's what he says. In verse 2, he says, when you give to someone in need, is he talking about generosity and giving? Someone, but not really. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Underline that word, important. Don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, is he talking about praying? Was he talking about generosity? Is he talking about praying? Well, yes, but he's talking about something deeper. When you pray, don't be like the what? The hypocrites, right? Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Verse 16, and when you fast, generosity, praying, fasting. Is that what we're talking about here? Yes, we're talking about those things, but with an underlying foundation of, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will actually get. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was preaching to a crowd like this. Crowds of hundreds, I mean thousands of people that he is preaching to and he's saying, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites. And there's this group of people over here that are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the most judgmental people you're going to find, always judging the, re- the religious people, looking down on the common man on their high horse. Jesus was speaking to the crowd, but he was really speaking to the Pharisees. He was telling this group of people, don't be like that group of people. Because you can't stand this group of people. Jesus was really speaking more about hypocrisy than he was judgment. See, Jesus isn't telling us not to judge. What he's saying is don't do it hypocritically. He goes on in verses 3 through 5 and he says this. He says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your home? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye? hypocrite there it is first get rid of the log in your own eye then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye you see the bigger issue in the passage is not being judgmental the bigger issue in the passage is hypocrisy he's saying don't tear apart other people's little acts when you got all kinds of big things wrong in your own life don't judge hypocritically So what Jesus is saying is, it's not wrong to judge. You just have to do it correctly because judging actually leads us to become better or correcting or encouraging or coaching or mentoring. It actually leads us to become better, right? He says, when we judge hypocritically, we miss the mark and we actually turn people away. So Jesus is saying, here, let me educate you. Let me help you on how we come down off our high horse and be with people. Be with people 
as Jesus was with people. I'm going to give you three things. Three things that are not actually with this passage. We're actually going to interpret some scripture. Do not judge, lest you too be judged, with some other scripture in the Bible. Matthew, or John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus gives the first thing about how we should judge correctly. And he says this. He says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. And I love that. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. That's in the New Living Translation. In the NIV, it actually says this. It says, stop judging by mere appearances. See, what Jesus is saying is when we judge, he says, if you're going to do it correctly, do not be superficial. And I think we all do this. We all do this without even realizing. And I was at a basketball game the other day, and uh, I, I didn't realize I was doing this. So it's the state playoffs. My daughter's team was a good team. They were the number eighth ranked team in the state. And they were playing another pretty good team that they were supposed to beat. So we were walking into our home gym with other people coming in. It's obviously COVID rules and you can't have all the people in the stands. But you were able to have the parents of our team and the parents of their team. Now here's the problem. Usually we have like a visitor section and they can go do whatever they want over there. And then we got like a home section. Where we parents sit and the students sit and all of that. Well, because of COVID, they've got these, this one side where we're all interspersed together. So two rows up for me, I've got this dad and his wife from the other team. And they're cheering hard. And they start off and they come out of the gate. And they are loving it because they're kicking our rear in the first quarter. We just did not come out to play. And the second quarter starts and our team starts coming back. And we start hitting threes and we start putting the press on. We start playing good defense. We come back and we go ahead and our fans are like drooling at the mouth. I mean, they're like freaking out. And it's not just the dads. It's like some of the moms are just freaking out and loving it. And it is driving this guy nuts. He is surrounded by our fans. And he turns around and looks at one of our moms and he gives this snarky comment. And she's a friend of mine. And so I, for some, I just kind of, I look at him like, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, we locked eyes. And have you seen that cell phone commercial that's on right now? Where the guy walks into the cell phone office and he's like, I want your best 5G network. And the other guy walks in and he's like, no, I want your best 5G network. And the Western music comes and it's like they're ready to draw. That is exactly what happened. Like the game stopped, the Western music came on, the two of us stood up and we're like, no, it didn't actually happen. But we did the stare down thing. Right, I start staring him down, I just like lock eyes. And what do you do as a guy? Do you actually look away? No, you can't look away, right? And so he's staring me down and I'm staring him down and I'm thinking inside, this is really stupid. Where's this gonna go? But I can't look away. And I'm in my mind judging this guy going, this is the biggest jerk I've ever seen. Would you just look away? And he's inside going, this is the biggest jerk I've ever seen. Would you look away? And finally something happens and a whistle gets blown and like, it was probably only three seconds, but it felt like 30. And we both look away. And I'm thinking, that is the biggest jerk I've ever seen. And during halftime, halftime, we go out and we're up by about 10. And my daughter had a great second quarter, second period. And he turns around to my wife and looks at my wife, who he's kind of stared at our group of friends. And we had the stare down. He looks at my wife and he turns around and he goes, is number three your kid? He's like, man, you parents just need to be so proud. She's a phenomenal basketball player. Man, would you just tell her that I love watching her? And I'm going, oh, crud. He's a good guy. Dang it. How many times do we do that? Like we make snap judgments on first impressions, right? 
We make snap judgments on people on first impressions. Here's the problems. Here's the problem. We make assumptions on first impressions and little, little judgments. Here's the thing. Small judgments ultimately lead to larger judgments. Like when we get into a habit where we're constantly making superficial judgments on people, small little judgments like that, we walked away from that game. It was no big deal. But here's what happens. When you get into the pattern of doing that, small judgments lead to large judgments, which actually hurt people. You see, it's hurtful when we judge people without knowing the truth, without knowing who they really are under the surface. What does it say? Get under, Jesus says, get under the surface so that you might judge correctly. See, when you judge superficially, you have a tendency to make assumptions. And we've all heard the saying that says, assumptions make a out of you. Makes a out of who? Not the other person, but out of us. And if assumptions can make that out of us, then we need to, if we're going to judge correctly, we need to slow down and look underneath the surface. Instead of assuming, we need to be understanding. We've got a saying around our house that, I've, I've been pretty open that over the last couple of years, my wife and I have gone through some counseling and man, has led to such a better relationship and deeper relationship. But it really, really came down to one of this kind of issue. Because I'll be honest, there were so many times I make snap judgments about things and not actually understand where she was coming from. And there were times where she'd make snap judgments about me and not understanding where I was coming from. And our counselor said, well, the first thing he said to us was, guys, you need to to fight for understanding, which means you need to seek to understand before you seek to be what? Understood. Man, you want to change any relationship. You want to change your marriage. You want to change your relationship with your kids. You want to change your relationship with your coworkers. You want to change. There is one simple question that you should ask. And that question is this. Help me understand. Help me understand why you felt that way. Help me understand why you reacted that way. Help me understand why you got so angry at me. Help me understand why what I did hurt you so badly. Help me understand why you didn't react the way I thought you were gonna react. Help me understand why you're quiet. Help me understand, instead of making snap judgments that lead to things that shouldn't be said, that lead to disconnection, what if we were to simply seek to understand instead of assume? What if those moments where we're like, man, that person is, man, they're on their high horse. They're so arrogant. What if we were able to approach that person, get to know that person, ask a few questions, and actually understand? It's interesting. I was reading a book that is called Barking at the Choir, and it's uh, by Gregory Boyle. And Gregory Boyle talked about this idea of how we categorize people into good and bad. And we take people and we actually demonize them for things that they do. And he talked about this idea and he talked about how he has been a part of 47 trials. So Gregory Boyle is a priest that lives in LA who has the largest gang rehabilitation clinic and network in the world. It's amazing what they do. It's phenomenal books, Barking at the Choir. And, uh, and he tells this story about how he has been a part of 47 different um, capital punishment cases and he's always called 
He said he's always called up to sit on the stand and he sits there and, and, and the, it's always the same thing. He said the prosecuting attorney will come up and he would tell the story of what these people did right in front of Gregory Boyle. He says, Gregory Boyle, he says, uh, uh, Mr. Boyle, you, you're a priest. Like, isn't it despicable of what these people did? I mean, some of them are murderers, some of them are this or that. Or, he says, isn't this just despicable? And he says, it's always the same story. And they put these people out to be monsters and they say, what kind of monster, what kind of evil person do you have to be to do that? And Gregory Boyle says, he always responds with the same thing. He says, man, how much hurt do you have to experience in life to do something? What did somebody else have to do to that person to cause them to do that? And then he goes on with this quote, and he says, there are no evil people in this world. They're just evil acts. There are no monstrous people in this world. They're just monstrous acts. And Scripture says, the same kindness that has been extended to us because we have done some evil acts. We have done some monstrous acts. The same kindness that has been extended to us by our God is the same kindness that should be extended to other people. We don't judge superficially. We get underneath the service and we ask, help me understand, to understand where people are coming from. The second thing that Jesus talks about or scripture talks about is the idea of starting with yourself. Is that we don't judge hypocritically. That was the, path, that was the idea this whole thing is based upon. Hypocrisy. Romans chapter 12, 2, verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, you may think, he just has listed all this list of sinful things in chapter 1 that people have been a part of. He calls sin, sin. He calls it out, but then he says to the people, the Roman church, he says, you may think that you can condemn such people that do these things, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning your self for you who judge others do the very same things just like it is hurtful to judge people superficially it is confusing and infuriating when we hold people to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to you see here's here's what we normally do when it comes to judging and comes to judging ourselves or judging hypocritically here's what we just naturally are inclined to do we are naturally inclined to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We are naturally inclined to excuse others and to accuse, or to accuse others and to excuse ourselves. So here's what happens with other people. Other people do something we don't like. And we say, man, would you look at that person? Would you look at what you just did? And we just accuse to others and we say it behind their back and sometimes we say it to their face and we accuse, accuse, accuse. But then we do that very same thing and when somebody accuses us, what we do is say, man, well, you actually didn't know what was going on. Like if you actually knew the whole story or if you, why are you accusing me? Because actually this thing happened that caused me to do this, so you should let me off the hook. I'll give you a little example. Um, earlier on in ministry, I would have a little bit of problem with promptness. And so I would always be just fill up my schedule like crazy. I would run from thing to thing and I would, show up to, to, I would show up consistently to meetings about five minutes late. And there was always a good reason. 
Like, there's always a good reason, man. I was meeting with somebody over here. I'm counseling somebody here. I've got a, this kind of thing I'm doing over here. I'm speaking at this thing here. I just would pack my schedule and never create enough time and margin to get where I needed to be or to even think through some of the things I needed to think through before I got there. And then I would show up and I would have all these excuses and say, I'm sorry, and everybody would be gracious. But then I would sit down in a meeting and somebody would be five minutes late and I'd be fuming because I got stuff to do and I got places to go. And, I, I should be, and you should be respectful and responsible with my time. And so why are you late? And I had a person say to me one time, you realize you're like five minutes late all the time. And I started thinking, you know, that person's five minutes late and I give them no grace. And so I'm still mad at people who are five minutes late, but I just make sure I show up on time. No, not actually. You see, what we do is we have a tendency to judge hypocritically and what we do is we accuse others and we excuse ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is, man, you cannot hold people to the same standards that you're not holding yourself to. And what's interesting is if you just think about that story that I just gave, how often is it that our harshest judgments, that's just a little story, but how often are our harshest judgments often reveal our deepest weaknesses? In ministry, honestly, I've had so many different conversations with people where people will accuse others and say, man, I can't believe that person's caught looking at porn. I can't believe that they would do such a thing. And then you find out later on that an extramarital affair is happening in that own person's life. You see, maybe what we should do with being judgmental or judging or judging correctly is simply start with ourselves and ask the question, can I be accused of the same? And if I can be accused of the same, then maybe I should start with myself and be gentle with others. You see, we never judge superficially, and we never judge hypocritically. And the third thing is, is this, is that we never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Like, if we want to look at the world, and we want to go after the one, and we want to be seen as not people on the high horse, but people who are willing to come down and be with people, then what we do is we never hold people outside of the family of God to the standards that we hold people inside the family of God to. Here's the example. When your kids come to my house or my kids come to your house, there's a set of rules or guidelines or boundaries that we kind of have at each other's houses, right? But yours are probably different than mine. Like at our house, there's things we eat. My boys are gluten-free and there's things we don't eat because of that. That's a simple little thing, but there are values too. There's certain language we use and certain language we don't use. There's certain things that we watch and certain things that we don't watch. And I had somebody over at our house the other day and, and they were like, we asked a question. They were staying and hanging out with us and we we're like, hey, can your kid watch this? And actually they looked at us and said, no, actually that, our kid can't watch that. And we said, hey, that's okay. We're not holding them to our rules. They're not holding us to their rules. It goes both ways. And when it really comes down to it, why would we, as people of the part of the family of God, hold people who are not a part of the family of God yet to the same standards that we hold ourselves to or that God holds us to? You see, that is one of the biggest reasons that non-Christian people look at Christian people and say, they're so judgmental. Like, get off my back. You're always telling me, man, this is what the Bible says, always telling me I'm wrong, always, instead of loving me, would you just... Love me and listen to me. You see, what Jesus said is it's not our job to try to change people. It is our job to try to love people to a God who is already working on changing us. 
You see, because when it really comes down to it, I know there are some things in my life that need to change. And if somebody really got into my life, they would see those things and they would say, you need to change. You know what? We all need to change. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and to change us. It's our job just to introduce people to the love and the grace of Jesus. And so how do we do that? The way we do that is we get off our high horse and we come down from our high place and we be with people. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. It says, the word or Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Think about that word high. You think about that word high and just above. And you think just about the idea of heaven, Jesus. If there was anyone high and mighty and above, it would be Jesus in the most positive sense. It says that Jesus left his high position and he came down to dwell among us. And here's what he came with. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Say it with me. Grace and truth. Say it again. Grace and truth. I think there's a specific reason that the writer John wrote that. I think there's a specific reason that he put grace before truth. Think of grace, Karis, God's, God's loving kindness, the mercy that we, we don't even deserve that he gives us. See, I think Jesus led with grace because when you lead with truth, Christians are so, can be accused of always leading with truth. When you lead with just truth and bring no grace to the party, then what happens is it makes people rebel. Makes people angry as we point at them and say, and they say, what are you, man, get off my back. But conversely, the other is true, the other way is true also. If we lead with all grace and we don't bring truth to the party, what it leads to is license. Like whatever I wanna believe is okay. Whatever I wanna do and however I wanna act, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. You see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came and led with grace. And we say it this way at Rocky, he brought truth to the party. Jesus came and he said, here's who I am, here's who you are, and I love you. I care about you, but I don't wanna leave you there. Jesus would even call sin, sin. <laughs> he would call sin, sin. We had a great passage the other day of Matt just talking about, it was a couple months back, he was talking about the woman caught in adultery. And do you remember what happened? They all came and they accused and they pointed and they said, this woman was caught in adultery, let's stone her. And Jesus gets down and he writes all of their sins. They were being hypocritical. He writes all their sins in the sand and says, hey, if you have no sin, cast the first stone. But you notice what he did with the woman. He led with grace. He got down on his knee with her. He put his arms on her. He lifted her up with him, probably put his cloak over her naked body, and he looked at her and he said, woman, who is there to condemn you? And she said, no one. He led with grace. But he brought truth to the party, and he said, you know what? You've been shown kindness. Now go and leave your life of sin. We start with grace. We bring truth to the party. And here's what happens. When we begin to not accuse, not assume, 
But love, as Jesus loved, people want to join us. People want to be around us. The one that you are after looks at you and says, man, that person has what I want and I need it. I spent the first over half of my life being on the other side of being judgmental. And I kept wondering, why do people seem to be avoiding? Christian people like being around me, but non-Christian people don't. Why is that? I figured out is because when you lead with truth and you bring no grace, it pushes people away. When you lead with grace, last decade and a half, you lead with grace, people say, man, I want to be a part of that. Here at Rocky, here's the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to be a church that doesn't make quick accusations. We're going to be a church that says you can belong before you believe. You can even belong before you behave because what God is all about is he's about relationship. He's about connection. Being judgmental separates relationships. Being gracious, it brings them together. Man, church, how do you, how do we need to grow in the issue of showing grace to people? Because when we do, people will want to be with us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have had to be shown grace. And God, I just pray that each and every one of us would just reflect on our story today and see where you have shown us grace. Father, as we go out today, I pray that we will, we will be people that show grace and bring truth to the party. Help us not to assume. Help us not to accuse. Help us just to love, to come down on our, off our high horse and be with people. To Jesus' name we pray.